morning, everyone. Good to see all of you. Uh, we are continuing our series on the uh, topic of fit for the master's use. And um, I'm, I'm very blessed to be able to stand here today to teach. For those who are joining online, we also welcome you to go to Communion Church of Christ. Hopes that you're well. Um, it's, it's the Lunar New Year, and it's the start of, of spring. So I think it's an, also an opportunity to wish all of you a very happy Lunar New Year or happy Chinese New Year if you're celebrating. And it, it's custom that, you know, during spring, we do what we call a spring clean. Clean up our houses um, and, and, and start afresh, so to speak. So I did a little bit of that. I can't say it's a very thorough job. <laughs> but I did clean my apartment yesterday. And, you know, you do the usual thing of uh, vacuuming and mopping and, and sweeping and so on and, you know, cleaning the countertops and um, wiping the, the microwave and so on. And I, was, and I also threw away some, you know, old paper bags and things that we, we no longer use or no longer need. And as I was going through one of the rooms in, in my house, uh, I came across a tote bag and it had a print on it. Uh, and it was quite a, a funny print. Now, this tote bag did not belong to me, but it had this print. Uh oh. It's not moving. Sorry? Okay. It's also not moving. <laughs> Just give me a minute. Technical difficulty here. Junior, I think I need your help. Ah, thank you. So it had this print, um, and it's a, it's a comical print. This bag did not belong to me, but I think you can guess who it belongs to, if you know my family. Uh, it says, let's find a cure for stupid people. And it, it, it has um, the world of science at the bottom. So it's a, it's a comical print of a girl looking through a, a telescope, sorry, not a telescope, a microscope, and a boy looking at a, a test tube. So of course, I laughed at this um, uh, when I was cleaning, and I thought, you know, this is, uh, this is something that, if you know my sense of humor, you might, you might think I find, I find very funny. But of course, it's, it's a joke. Um, it's not in any way a serious suggestion, because, you know, from the context, you can tell this is not a serious endeavor to find a cure for stupidity. But I think people probably find this funny because you know, we, we go around our lives um, facing a lot of people who disagree with us, uh, who don't do the things, things the way we, we think are, are logical or reasonable or rational, uh, who we might find very silly, and who make our lives very difficult, right? who get in our way. So, you know, it'd be, it's funny because we think, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could get rid of, of human ignorance and stupidity? And we attribute these uh, this, this people to perhaps a lack of knowledge or perhaps they're not, we think they're not very smart. In fact, I think if, we, if I were to you know, push you and say, you know, if there was a cure for, for human foolishness, you probably could think of a few people who could use that cure, right? You probably want to slip. That, that pill or that, 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 that um, medicine 
into some of their food and saying, would you like to have this food? You know? But also when you think about it, if you were to shift, I'm sure you, I'm sure you have that person in mind, right? That, 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 that man or woman. You think, ah, oh, this person's always making my life difficult and he's not very smart, not very, uh, or she's not very intelligent and I was always getting in my way. But if you were to show this poster to them, they'd probably laugh as well. They probably have someone else in their mind who could use what they, they feel um, is a cure. And they probably have the same view that you have, that you know, there's someone in their life who is annoying, irrational, foolish, or ignorant. And, and of course, this is just a light-hearted uh, print. It's meant to be a joke. But it also, when you really think about it, speaks to how we as people often uh, can see that other people are in our way when we disagree with them. Other people are ignorant. Other people are foolish. Other people are not so smart. But we sometimes, we must admit, are also those people. We are definitely wise in some areas or knowledgeable in some areas and we are not so smart in other areas. Right? If you were to ask me about the law, for example, because I'm a lawyer, I would have quite a good working uh, uh, knowledge right? I would be able to explain most concepts to you. If you ask me specifically about my area of practice, which is construction law, I would be able to explain a lot to you. I can, I can go on and on about it because that's my area of knowledge. But if you were to ask me, you know, about oncology, right, cancer treatment, dentistry, I would know very, very little. And if I were to speak to an oncologist or a dentist, I probably won't appear very smart when I talk about the topic. So it's quite universal in the sense that, you know, people see others as lacking, see others as, as ignorant, getting in the way, need to be corrected, um, are foolish. But we don't really see that we ourselves sometimes fall under that category. We ourselves get into the way of other people's lives. We are probably um, a, a people whom other people consider not so smart and quite ignorant too. So it's easy to actually find fault in others. As Christ says in Matthew chapter 7, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, why, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. It's easy to find fault in other people. It's easy to look at the problems and lackings in other people and say that you need to correct that, I need to correct that for you. But it's much harder to have self-awareness it takes to reflect on ourselves and say, actually, <laughs> I've got some areas I need to improve on too. I've got things that I need uh, to do better. And I think most people approach the world this way, that, you know, I, mean, I have to admit, sometimes I'm one of those people. I just think, why is, this, why is there so much ignorance around me and silliness around me and, and foolishness around me? Why, why is there just so much of that? And, and, and it is getting in the way of human progress. It is getting in the way of my progress. You know, and we, we are very um, antagonistic and judgmental. Um, our, our sermon text today is actually taken from 2 Timothy chapter 2. And if you, if you were here last week, you, you recall that Brother Ng actually introduced this topic when he was announcing the topic for today. 
It's taken from 2 Timothy chapter 2, and it reads, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. And he said, Brother Joshua is this, teaching this topic, and you know, he, he embodies this. And I thought, that's such an odd thing to say about me, because I quarrel for a living. <laughs> I'm a lawyer who literally goes to court and arbitration you know, every other day to tell people that they are wrong, <laughs> that they've, they've got it completely mistaken, and that I'm right. Right? But of course, that's a mode of work. And of course, there are rules and regulations on how you tell people you're wrong. And there's an arbiter or an arbitrator or a judge who decides at the end of the day, and you have to live with that. Right? And Paul isn't talking about, of course, being a lawyer. Paul is talking about being a servant of God. A servant of the Lord who is a Christian who is meant to teach those around him his fellow Christians, and including those who are not fellow Christians, but those in opposition to him. And there are rules and regulations there too. Right? There are ways to uh, uh, speak to others and, and correct others and tell people that they're wrong that are better than others. There are some ways of saying things which are appropriate and preferable, and there are those ways of saying things which are not so appropriate. Right? And to finish off um, the reading, in verse 25, we read, In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So this was Paul's admonition to his co-worker, Timothy. Now, all of us have been shaped, in part at least, by mentors in our life, by teachers in our lives, and by, um, and by people who employ us. Right? They, they may be uh, formal teachers, for example, teachers in school. Uh, they may be family members, for example, your, your parents or your, uh, your, uh, your, 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 your relative of yours. Right? And they may be in the employment context. Like, for example, I, I, ha I have had seniors in my, in my line of work, who taught me a lot of what I know today. But I'm going to give you some choices um, by way of pictures of who you would choose if you could choose someone to be your teacher or your mentor or your boss. And I think the answer for most of us will be pretty obvious. Now, if you had to choose between these two men, I think I would, I would gander to say that most of you would choose the man portrayed on the right. Now, I'm not asking you to agree with his politics or his policies or to say you're against the policies of the person you don't take. Uh, this is not a political discussion. But purely on the basis of the reputations of their personalities, what you hear about them, what you read about them, what you see about them, I think it's pretty obvious most people would someone pick the person on the right. No one wants a teacher, a mentor, or a boss who is argumentative, quarrelsome, bullying, mean. We would all prefer someone who is patient, someone who, is, uh, who embodies uh, uh, acceptance and a spirit of forgiveness. Again, this is not about your, your political beliefs. I'm just saying purely on their personalities alone. Who would you pick? I think most of you, like I said, would pick the man on the right. What about this? If you had to choose between them, who would you choose to be your boss or your teacher? 
think most of you would choose also again the lady on the right. You would not want someone who is teaching you, who's mentoring you, who is having a discussion with you, to be provocative, to be rude, to be insulting, um, to be harsh, cruel. Uh, you, you would not want that in the qualities of someone who's teaching you, who's speaking to you, who's employing you. So it's clear that you know, when, when we expect these qualities from other people, right? It's clear why we ourselves need it, right? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 13, the same uh, writer, Paul, wrote that, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has to complain against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also so, so you also must do. So imagine this qualities in someone else. Wouldn't that person be so wonderful to live with, so wonderful to be under the tutelage of? We can see when we read these qualities, Paul talks about that he is cultivating a community of believers that are loving towards one another. Right? These, when you love someone, you, you show these things, right? Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing one another, one another, forgiving to one another. So you would naturally say, yeah, this sounds like a wonderful bunch of people to be with. Right? And if you can see the benefits you would gain, that we ourselves would gain in these qualities in others, then we can very easily understand why we ourselves must cultivate these traits. We ourselves have to embody these qualities that Paul talks about when we serve others. Because it makes sense. If you want people like that to be in your life, you have to be that person in other people. In your calling as a Christian, in your calling of service, these are the qualities that other people hope to see in you, hope to have in teachers, in mentors, in fellow brothers and sisters, in people who you are having even a significant and genuine disagreement on doctrinal matters. So what if you were their teachers and mentors? And that's the reality of our lives. Now, of course, the, the, the earlier question is, who would you pick? But what if you were the one who was in the shoes of teaching, mentoring, or even employing these people? What kind of examples would you have to embody? What kind of attitudes would you have to have in dealing with people whom may be very quarrelsome, who may be uh, not gentle at all, who may be very insulting and possibly rude, provocative. What kind of uh, uh, teaching methods and approach would you have to these people? And, and that's the reality of our situation today, because not everyone in our lives whom we come into contact with is agreeable with us. And sometimes, the reality is, even some Christians may not be agreeable to it. You may not get along with them naturally um, because of, of differences of opinion and so on, or, or differences in character or, or, or personality. But we still have that same calling, regardless. We still have that same requirement to teach, to admonish, to reach out, to be a good example if they're not Christians. You know, well, even if they are Christians, but 
to be a shining example of Christ in their lives. And we may be their mentors and their teachers. So if you flip the question around, we would want to be people that as Paul has admonished in Colossians and 2 Timothy chapter 2, Colossians chapter 3 and 2 Timothy chapter 2, that these people can admire, that these people can find uh, are, are worthy of listening to, worthy of respect, and worth having a discussion with. Because Paul says, not gentle to some, but to all. They are not quarrelsome some of the time, but not quarrelsome to stop. He's not giving us an option to say, you know, you can be gentle to some and, 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 and mean and harsh to others and quarrelsome with others. Right? In fact, he says, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, people who don't agree with us, people who want to possibly bring us down, people who are, are getting in our way, so to speak, people who have uh, maybe very, very uh, strong feelings of dislike or even hate towards us. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, that they may know the truth. You see, it's very easy, of course, if you're a Christian, to be nice to other people who are nice. It's very easy to get a good reputation among those who already treat you very well and whom you treat very well. It's not so easy when you deal with people who are in opposition, you deal with people who have very different values from you, who have very different approaches from you who have possibly personalities which are very antagonistic towards yours, that's when the challenge comes. In those situations, it's much harder to be gentle, it's much harder to be humble, it's much harder to speak uh, with humility. And yet, that's what we are taught to do. Not to be gentle with some uh, and humble to some, but to all. Because when we understand the scripture, we are understanding, we have to understand why we're asking this. We don't teach to be praised. We don't teach to be admired. No, we don't teach to write uh, a multi million dollar, uh, sorry, multi million copy books or to go on speaking arrangements with you know, huge conglomerates around the world. That's, that's not, I mean, some of us may have that job, but I'm saying in the context, the Bible, in the context of the church, we are not asked, that's, that's not our calling. We're not called to, 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 to reach the heights of admiration amongst other humans as to how we teach. When we don't teach and we don't relate to others so that we always win. And that's something I, I obviously have to have that kind of attitude in my job. But I have to turn that off if I deal with fellow Christians. Right? We're not asked to speak to one another, to constantly win, to constantly be proven right, to say, ha, I told you so. We teach and we speak to others, we relate to others in the context of Christianity, in the context of the church, both to Christians and both to those who are speaking to us about spiritual matters, because ultimately, we want to bring others to the truth. We want to bring them to the obedience of the gospel. And possibly, the context of Christians, we want to encourage them. We want to uh, 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 correct them if they are straight. 
We want to bring them up if they're down. We want to show them we care. Not to show them that we're right. Not to show them that they were the best speaker in town, that they're the most charismatic speaker in town. You know, not that we're the most aggressive person in the debate team. No. We understand why. Because as the earlier um, passage we read is so that they will know the truth, so that they come to repentance. Right? And when we know that why, then the how makes sense. How Paul asks us to treat others makes sense when we know the why. Because if you were to uh, be a debater, perhaps you have to be very, very aggressive. If you were to always want to be right, to always be proven uh, uh, to win arguments, then your how is very different from someone who wants to bring someone to the truth. Your how will be very different from encouraging someone, from someone who intends to bring someone up. You might possibly be someone who brings someone down. So when you understand the why, then the how makes sense. It shapes the how. And the how is humility, kindness, patience, and love. That's evident from the passage that we've read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul's admonition to Timothy. So when we deal with uh, 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 people in the spiritual context, we always have to remember the why. And when we remember the why, then the, the how becomes clearer and more obvious. It doesn't make it easier necessarily. Sometimes, for example, I can be very uh, argumentative at times. But I have to, like I said, turn that off in the context of dealing with spiritual uh, uh, um, discussions and dealing with uh, uh, fellow Christians. And only confine that to when I'm working, when I'm submitting, when I'm debating in court, for example. Right? In Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, Paul also wrote that we are to walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, Paul is saying that you have to know how you are to answer each one. You have to also you have to have that base of knowledge, what to say, that biblical knowledge, that doctrinal knowledge, but you also have to have the presentation of that message. The packaging, so to speak, the mode of transferring the information. And he says that mode is with grace, seasoned with salt, you know, I, that it, it has to be uh, 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 careful, it has to be um, it has to be calculated, not overly emotional, uh, not condescending, not rude, right? It's you know, when you season something with salt, it's palatable. Salt is the greatest seasoning and the most universal seasoning in human cuisine. We add salt so that that food tastes better, so that we will eat it. Right? So when he says you, you season it, so it's not because you don't have, you're only serving salt. It's not because you don't have ingredients to go put the salt on. It's because you have to make that message palatable to the person. Right? If you put, you know, uh, a lemon rind on it, no one's going to eat it. It's bitter. Right? But if you put salt, then that person is listening, processing, 
digesting the message as you would digest food that is palatable. And so you have to know how to answer people, but you also have to know in, in how, in a sense of what to tell them, but also how to tell them. And that's really what Paul is driving at when he's speaking to the Colossians and when he's speaking to Timothy in his letters. In Titus 1 verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort, convict those who contradict. So it's not to say that we only say nice things to people who disagree with you. You only praise them and you know, uh, polish their egos. That's, that's not what Paul is saying. There's still that work that says we disagree and this is why we disagree and I, I think you're mistaken, this is why you're mistaken. You still have to have that sound doctrine. You still have to understand that you are doing the work of exhortation and conviction. But you also need to know how you present that forward and, and make all the difference in the world. Because it, it will be how that person reacts, how that person accepts or rejects what you say. So we need to be apt to teach. As uh, Paul admonishes Timothy, workers need to be apt to teach because teaching encompasses so much of what we do. And, and not necessarily teaching in the formal context of the pulpit, but teaching in, in every, every uh, 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 speech we have with other people, Christians and non-Christians, about spiritual matters. We have to teach to convince. If we are not apt at teaching, then we can't convince those who, uh, for others to obey the gospel. If, if, we, if people ask you, why do you believe in the Bible? Why do you believe in God? Why do you believe in Christ? And we have no reason for it. Or we can't you know, formulate uh, some sort of response to that which is coherent, which is reasonable, which is acceptable, then it's going to be very hard, if not impossible, to convince others to obey the gospel. We have to be apt to teach because we are asked to encourage others. We are asked to uplift those who are down. And we do that through a variety of means, but one of those is through our words, through what we say to them. We have to be apt to teach because we are also asked to instruct. We are, some of us are asked to be teachers or called to be teachers to teach others that they may grow in knowledge. And we also have to be apt to teach so that we can convict those who are in error in humility. We have to correct when things excuse me, go wrong. So, in all of these four areas, we are asked to be good at what we do, but also remember the context of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 is that this has to be done with the right frame, the right mode, the right way of doing things. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14, the Hebrew writer said, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of God, in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of those of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The calling of Christians is not only to deal with uh, rudimentary methods of doctrine, but to continually grow, right, from milk to solid food, from simpler things to more complex things. But 
some of us uh, are stuck in that milk stage, that non-growing babe stage, that child stage, because we don't move on to, uh, to the meat. We're still digesting the milk, so to speak. And that's, you know, the, the more basic principles. And in fact, the Hebrew writer is saying that some of you need to be taught again and again the things you should already know, the basic stuff that we should already be finished covering with. Right? The, the, the 101 part of your course, so to speak. Right? Now, how are you going to be teachers of others if you need to be taught yourself? If you yourself have no grasp of at least you know, the core principles and the basics, the first principles, the 101, how are you going to teach others the 101 or the 102 or the 103? You can't because you're not equipped to do it. So to be good teachers, we need to be good students. That's how we become apt at teaching. We need to Study, frankly, that's the only way. Because if you talk about a teacher who is, you know, uh, in, for example, in the context of a university, you know, some teachers, they don't even look at their notes, they're off notes, they may not even have slides, they wrote the book, the textbook that you have in your, your library or in front of your, 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 your study table, right? They know the material in and out because they've gone through it so many, many times. They've, they've taught this lecture for you know, years, that it's almost second nature to them. It's almost like a habit to them. Just waking up, they don't need to prepare. And now, of course, they didn't get there right after they finished their degree. Right? They would have to have a long journey to get where they are. And so when we see app teachers of the word, likewise, they didn't get there just waking up and, you know, being brilliant. They had to work to get there. They had to know the syllabus. And the syllabus, of course, in this context, the Word of God. And, you know, if you are an associate professor or a junior professor or an assistant teacher, right, and you are asked to do a replacement class or a standing class or, or, or the, uh, the head teacher wants you to, you know, to test how good you are with the students and with the materials, what would you do? You'd prepare by getting to know the syllabus. You'd prepare by getting to know what you have to present. And in our case, as Christians, in the spiritual context of Christianity, it's the Bible. Right? There's no two ways about it. So to be a good teacher, we have to be good students. We have to digest continuously and study continuously the Bible that we have as the Word of God. And some of you might be thinking, gosh, that's just so much work, right? That's so much work. And it's, it's not a work that you can do one-off and, and be good at. There's no magic pill. It sounds like a lot of tedious work. And then, you know, not only do you have to know your material well, you have to present it in such a way that it's palatable to others. It's so much work. But when you feel discouraged, and when you feel tired out, as all of us will feel if we have been Christians for a while, then we have to also remember the bigger picture. Right? And the bigger picture is that when Paul, you know, just imagine if Timothy were to read this epistle, Paul's in house arrest in Rome. Right? He calls himself a prisoner of the Lord. 
And you wonder how Timothy would have felt, right? You wonder whether he was uh, getting discouraged, whether he was tired, whether he was unsure. I'm not saying he was, but it, it might be because Paul has been in prison. In fact, most scholars agree that uh, 2 Timothy was the last epistle that Paul wrote before he passed on. So you might be losing a lot of steam. You might be very discouraged. But Paul, even in prison, he didn't, he didn't allow any of that negativity seep in his writing. He wrote, um, before we read verse 22, earlier to Timothy, he says, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. No fear, but instead power, strength, but also love, but also of a sound mind, a mental ability to sift through the truth. And therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So Paul was admonishing Timothy to say that you remember your why, you remember your what, right? That this calling of yours, that this work you're asked to do, which is, yes, at times challenging and difficult and encouraging even, don't, don't, don't let that bring you down because, you know, it is a holy calling. It is a calling from God. And it's not even according to what we can do or can't do, not according to our abilities, but according to God's purpose, the bigger purpose of divine design. And it's according to God's grace, not our works, but God's grace, which was given to us Christ before time began. So you, you may be discouraged, but remember you are part of a, something much bigger than yourself. When you're asked to encourage, when you're asked to teach, when you're asked to correct, when you're asked to study, it is part of something bigger than yourself. It is not just, like I said, for your own glory. In fact, it's not for your glory at all, right? but for the glory of God. So, I'm, I'm ending my, my, my um, sermon today with this passage, and I hope that you've been encouraged by what I've shared, and I've definitely been encouraged by preparing this lesson. Um, the Kota Community Church of Christ has many teachers who would love to hear from you if you would like to learn more about a life of service to God. And, and we have many able teachers who are able to have studies with you. So if you're tuning online and you'd like to, please drop us a note through our email or our social media. And for those amongst us here today, likewise, if you have a need or a requirement to recommit yourself to God or to learn about God, please let us know as we uh, stand uh, to sing the song of invitation.